0: Another beautiful day outside, and it's so wonderful to be together here. This morning's reading is taken again in Psalms, and this morning it's Psalm 145, Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God, my King, and bless your name forever and ever, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Pray together. Father, as John said, we are so glad, Lord, that you have made all things new. And we are thankful, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. And so this morning... I pray, Lord, that we will bring whatever we have to you in surrender. Lord, sometimes that's easy to say, it's not so easy to do. So, Lord, search our hearts and let us allow you to probe in the corners, in the places that we don't really want to look, at the things that we hide away from others. Lord, bring them into the light. Because your word says that you're good in all things that you're gracious you're quick to forgive you're kind and you're loving and your steadfast love is reaching each one thank you Lord this morning that we are together I thank you Lord for your word and I pray now Lord as John comes that you will reveal to us what it is that you want to speak to us individually to say to reach, to probe, and to help us to move forward in love with you. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen. Thanks, Carolyn. Uh, so today we are in Psalm 145, Psalm 145, and this is my last Sunday for a few Sundays. Uh, uh, we have some very special guests coming up over the next few weeks. So make sure you're here. I'm not telling you who they are, but uh, yes, Psalm 145. And over the over the past few weeks, as we've been going through the Psalms, uh, a a clear pattern has developed. I don't know if you've saw it or or are aware of it. Uh, Not intentionally, might I add. I am not intelligent enough to to work that together the way it has come together. But but the Psalms that we have been studying together over the past four or five weeks have brought us very much to a place of considering what or who we are worshipping. What or who are we worshipping? And as I've said it over and over again over the past few weeks, we are made, the very very essence of who we are, uh, we're made in such a way as to worship. We can't not worship. That's who we are. We can't not worship. And so my question for us today, uh, for me and for you today, is a very simple one. If we can't not worship, why wouldn't we worship the one who is most worthy and the most glorious that exists? Why would we not worship the one who is most worthy of our worship? Why would we not devote ourselves? Why wouldn't we devote ourselves to the one thing in all of the universe that is actually deserving of our ultimate allegiance? Why would we not do that? Why wouldn't we pursue the one the only thing that can bring real satisfaction in our lives. Why wouldn't we do that? I'm sure you see where I'm probably going with this this morning, but what possible reason could we give for not devoting every ounce of our physical, mental, spiritual energy to the God of the Bible? The God who in Genesis 1 created all things. The God who called every single thing that is into existence out of nothing. The God who is immeasurably greater than we can ever imagine. The God who is more unfathomably beautiful than we can ever imagine. Limitless in power, knowledgeable, love, mercy, and majesty. Just from even describing him there now, why would we not devote ourselves to worshiping that one? And so my aim today is very simple, and I'm just coming straight to the point in the first few minutes, which is not like me, but my aim is very simple. I want to impress upon our hearts today, all of our hearts today, that you were created to worship the one being who your heart is designed to worship, and that is the God of the Bible. You were not created to spend your time gazing at yourself in a mirror and worshiping yourself. Some of you look as if you didn't bother doing that this morning, to be fair. You weren't created. You were not created to exhaust your energy, to trying to squeeze as much out of this world and get as much material stuff for for yourself as possible. That's not what you were created for. You were not created to devote your mental, physical, spiritual, financial resources in in the pursuit of countless idols. That is not what you were created for. You were created for God. You were created to see Him, to know Him, to celebrate him, to rest in him, to rejoice in him, to be satisfied in him, to be enthralled by him, to be captivated by him in Christ Jesus. That is why you are here. And in Psalm 145, David literally just bursts into worship of all these things that he sees of God. That's what we have. The reasons, he barely scratches the surface of the reasons why we should worship this God, but essentially that's what he's doing. He's pointing us to, to all the reasons why we should worship this God. And this morning, what I want to do is just, I, I, we don't have time. We literally don't have time to go through all the reasons. Like last week, I did two verses, and this week, there's 21. There's, there's, there's a big difference. I could be here till Thursday going through all the list of the reasons here in Psalm 145 that, that the psalmist gives us to worship God. We can't do that. So what I'm going to do this morning for your benefit and for your sanity is I'm going to bring out four, four reasons from this psalm why we should not run after all those all things that I talked about and devote ourselves to the living God. Four reasons. And before we get into this, Before we start, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I'm doing. I want you to think about you. I want you to think about you. I want you to think about anyone else. And I want you to think of what the person three rows behind me is doing with their lives. I don't want you to think of what the person next to you is doing with their life. I don't want you to think, well, I'm worshipping worshiping the one true God and such and such over there is obviously worshipping idols. Because you know what? And here's the thing. do You see, when it comes to the last day, you will not be asked to give an account of what the person three rows behind you did or did not do. You won't be asked to give an account of what the person sitting to down to your left did or did not do. You will be asked to give an account of what you did. And who you worshipped. And how you worshipped. And what you did with your worship. So think about you. And I think about me. Deal? No. Obviously not. You're still determined to think about that other person. Right, okay. Try not to. Try not to. Think about you. What are you doing? Right, first thing, and this may not be overly obvious to us as a reason why we should worship God, but I think it is, and I'll get to why it is in a moment. First reason why in Psalm, in Psalm 145, all of our attention, all of our focus, all of our devotion, all of our love, all of our joy, all of our everything should go towards the living God As this. He sustains the church and always has sustained the church. Let me read to you. Verse 4. One generation shall command your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare, it, declare your greatness. He has sustained from day one. God has sustained the people of God. We live in a time, we, we live in an age where there seems to be, and it's, it's, the reality is, these things are... are they're cyclical in, motion, or in nature. They go round and round and round in different generations. And different generations think they are the worst. And then we come to our generation, and we think we're the worst. And then the next generation will come to the, and it'll be. We live in a time where there seems to be extreme concern over the decline of the church. If you if you go into any secular newspaper, you will read articles there about the decline of the church. The church is in decline. The church is becoming irrelevant. The church is blah, blah whatever, whatever, whatever. I just want to say to you today that's nonsense. It is nonsense. It is literally the definition of fake news. It's not true. The reality is that people have been worried about the church decline since the church was established. And the reality, however, is this. It is God that sustains and keeps the church. It is God that keeps and sustains the church throughout every, every generation. Now, I understand the sentiment behind what's going on. It's fear. And fear can be a very real thing, a powerful thing. But we so often view the news, the scriptures, the promises of God through the lens of the circumstance that is in front of us, and that creates fear. Rather than looking at the, the, the reality of history. The reality of history has been that God has sustained the church and what we do what we tend to do is very very focus look at the here and now what's happening now rather than looking at the big picture of the gospel story throughout history like. Do we think, do we genuinely think, and I'm saying this to encourage you, do we think that God is involved in some sort of cosmic struggle with the devil and we're not sure of the outcome? No. We know the outcome. We know that the victory is already won. It is literally only a matter of time till it's completed. And guess what? God will have His people. Not one, hear me, not one of the ones who were supposed to be in the kingdom will not be in the kingdom. God's not going to be in the last day, oh, thought they were in, but they mustn't have made it. It is Him who sustains, Him who builds the church. The church is not in decline because the promise is that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. That's the promise. I listen a wee bit of, uh, well, I listen quite a bit actually of Alistair Begg. I've started listening a whole lot more. And, And just as a side note, right, side note, do yourself a favor. Listen to Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg that if like take that name down listen that stop and here another side note from the side note do yourself a favor listen alistair Begg. it's a wee app called truth for life if you all got smartphones get the app truth for life daily programs alistair Begg, very good sound teacher listen him stop listening 20 second clips on instagram of people you don't know pastors you don't know you don't know what church they belong to. You don't know what authority they're under. And just because it sounds spiritual, it's not spiritual. Side note, all right? Listen, people who are good. Alistair Begg is good. And he's Scottish, which helps, right? Listen to him. One of his daily programs this week, he told a story about uh, a conversation amongst demons. And I you think of this, it's, it's hilarious. And, and the conversations that the demons must have had down through the years about, the, about Jesus and the end of the church. So, Jesus is born. And the, the, the demons get together and say, right, okay, he's, he's, he's in the world now, and what are we going to do? And right, okay, here we have a... So, brilliant. Heard. He has a plan. Super. Herod has a plan. What's he going to do? He's going to kill all the babies, all all the male children. Brilliant. That's it sorted. It'll be stomped out before it ever gets started. Unreal. Guess what? Mary and Joseph and Jesus escape to Egypt and survive. Dang it, skins. The demons didn't see that one coming. Right. Move on. We'll see how this pans out a little. Brilliant. Jesus grows up. And then he's coming to an age where he's, where he's causing a bit of fuss and he's gone through his ministry. Uh, uh, right, but here, the demons, we've got a plan. We've got this Judas fellow. And this Judas fellow, he, he will betray Jesus and he'll hand him over to the authorities and guess what they're going to do? They're going to kill him. Brilliant. Sussed. We'll have it finished. Right, so the demons get together and they say, right, okay, this is going to happen. Judas is going to do this and this. We're brilliant. This is done. It's done. He's been handed over. Super. Right, there he is on the cross brilliant, he's dead, finished. Oh, this plan is going so well. Right, even better than that, this guy Joseph has given us a tomb to put Jesus in. We're, we're, we're going we're to put him in there and, he, and, he's gonna, and he's got a big stone and it's going to be rolled over and he's definitely not getting out of there. Dang it, Skins, he's gone. He's up. He's alive. What? He couldn't be. He could, he could not be alive. He is. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? We'll have it. Don't worry. It's not, it's not done. The plan is not over. Jesus may be alive, but we've got this other boy in mind, Saul of Tarsus, you call him, right? Saul. And he hates Christians. He hates them. He hates them so much, in fact, that he kills them. He just like outright kills these Christians. He's going to stomp it out for us. We're going to get him to do the work. Once he's finished, we're done. We're finished. It's all over. Oh, Saul has become a Christian. Dang it. Do you see the pattern? At every single turn when the demons or whoever thought they could stomp out the church, God had a way. God had a plan to continue it on. It is the same today. The church is not in decline. The church will continue to flourish. The real church will continue to flourish. One generation passes it on until the next generation, and the next generation passes it on until the next generation, until we find ourselves in Rathfriland in 20-whatever-it-is-now, sitting here in the Young Farmers Hall, worshiping who? King Jesus. The church is not in decline. You seem buzzing about that fact it's not it's not we have a gathering here this morning of spirit-filled believers worshiping King Jesus and it is our responsibility to pass that on to the next generation so that they will pass it on to the next generation until Christ comes amen and that will happen that will happen so one reason from, the Psalm, from Psalm 145 here this morning that we worship King Jesus, we adore King Jesus, is that He is the one who is sustaining the church, you and I. Not ourselves. He's sustaining us. Second reason we worship King Jesus this morning and worship the God of the Bible is this. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I, I, there's probably not much explanation needs doing to those verses. God has what is known as a holy temper but he has a very long fuse. He has a holy temper, but a very long fuse. In the fact that even those who deny him, even those who blaspheme him, are the recipients of his patience and his grace. God allows his enemies. Look, look at the world we live in today, and I'll, I'll, this is the, the next point sort of feeds into this. Look at the world we live in today where so many people are like actually vehemently opposed to, to the God of the Bible. And have no problem saying so. Now the God we believe in could in all seriousness, we, we laugh and joke about it, we shouldn't laugh and joke about it. But the God of the Bible that we believe in could smite people like that. Like you read the Old Testament, that happens. Nothing's changed in God. He could do that. But He is patient. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. The the, the word steadfast love here is a translation from the Hebrew. It's a word hesed, uh, which... Elsewhere is rendered in such terms as mercy, goodness, loving kindness, loyal, and occasionally by the word grace. But it, is primarily, it primarily emphasizes God's covenant love with His people. He is gracious. But if we look closely at this verse, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, what we pick up next is is vitally important. Slow to anger and what? Abounding in steadfast love. Not just that, you know, you're just scraping through and you're just getting the, the, the drags. No, He is abounding in steadfast love. When we find ourselves sometimes empty of affection or the capacity, we know what that feels like. God's not like that. God is not like that. God is abounding in steadfast love. His love never scrapes the bottom of the barrel. His love never needs replenished. Every time, every time you think, listen to this, every time you think that you have tested or, or you're close to testing the limits of God's love for you, You could not be further from the truth. His love to you is what? Abounding. Always. Always. Don't ever think that one day you're going to wake up and find that that somehow your sin or somehow your mess has has drained the supply of God's love for you. you. You can't do it. You can't do it. His love for you is abounding. And genuinely, I feel this morning that some of you just need to hear that. The very simple truth that God loves you. God loves you. And again, I say it often. He doesn't love the, the 30 years down the line, I don't know if you know I have 30 years left, probably not. The 30 years down the line, more sanctified version of you. He loves you. With all your mess. With all the ways you're screwed up. With all your problems, with all your issues. God's love is abounding who you. Now, I know the people who struggle with that because you're not looking me in the eye right now. You can't take that in. But it's true. He loves you. The God of the universe that we just described at the start, the one who called all things into existence, the one who sent his son, the one who sustains the church, the one who, all of that, Loves and has and is, and is fixed his love on you. What an amazing grace that is. He's slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love. Don't let that, don't let that just roll over you this morning. Don't let that just... You've heard it a million times. I'm sure you've heard a million times that God loves you. But don't let it roll over. Let it, let it sit. That he actually loves you. He's not going anywhere. He's not leaving you. He's not abandoning you. There's nothing you can do that will change his love for you. He loves you. 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 Second reason we should worship and adore Him is that He is abounding in steadfast love. Third reason. Third reason we get here in this psalm is that He is good to all. He's good to all. This is, uh, this is one of those verses, Psalm one forty-nine or 145 verse 9, where we get the doctrine of common grace. You've heard You hear me talking about that all the time. You'll hear me throw that phrase out, "common grace," all the time. But this is one of those verses where we get that doctrine from. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. I don't know about you, and I, but but we in the Irvine House pray before our meals, right? We 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 make it a practice that we pray before our meals, and the prayers. I'm going to give you a glimpse into what this looks like. The prayer sort of goes something like this usually, right? Thanks God for the food, for our friends and family, for the dogs, and for Man United, right? And we pray against the evil forces of Liverpool Football Club. And there's a hearty amen, all right? That's where we sort of draw the line. But we, the football bit's a joke. The football bit's a joke, all right? Just, he pray for the football. Uh, shut up! Uh, right, that's how the prayers go. We give thanks for our food, right? And one thing hasn't changed throughout the, the whole of the Old Testament, in that a lot of this passage, one four five, one Psalm one four five, a lot of this passage would have been prayed before meals in the ancient world. They're expressing their gratitude to God before sharing a meal together. When they prayed at the midday meal, it was customary to recite all, actually, of Psalm 145. Largely to do with the statement in verses 15 and 16, which reads, The eyes of of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy every living thing. But if we look back to that, that verse, verse 9 of Psalm 145, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all. That he has made that verse conveys, as I say, this doctrine of common grace. And as I say, if you've been here for a while, you'll have heard me talk about this. What is common grace? God is good to all. The the theologian John Murray defined common grace as this: every favor or whatever kind of, of whatever kind of degree falling short of salvation. Which, which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God, Jesus said that God makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. And one of the ways that God displays or, or gives shows us this common grace that He has is actually that He holds back. He holds back sinners from being as sinful as they could be. Do you you ever ever think about that? No, I, I think about these things. He holds back sinners being as sinful as they could be. Because the reality is, if sinners were let loose in this world, what would ensue? Chaos. Anarchy. And so God's common grace to us holds back some of that. Now, this common grace that we talk about where God is good to all and He he makes the the rain shine on the the just and the unjust is completely distinct from saving grace. It is a different thing. But God is good to everyone. He is good, He is patient, He is loving, and He is kind to everyone. A couple of examples that, that, that we have of a common grace in our world uh, that God has given us, and I know this one will shock you for a start, uh, but but one of one of the ways that God shows us his common grace is through human institutions, and this one is going to shock you through governments. One of the ways in which God shows His common grace to the world is through governments Romans let me just read the Bible for you before you have a fit. Uh, I'm going to read the Bible so you can see where this is exactly in the Bible. Romans 13, verse 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from where? What it say? God. No authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's one where you're like, oh, forgot that was in there. Part of God's common grace to us are the human institutions that we have in the world. Let every, let, I want to break this down so that we're not confused. A couple of things. Now, when Paul says every person, just so that we're clear, what, it, what he means by that is every person. Not some people. Not the good people. Not the bad people. Every person. Uh, He also doesn't say, just be subject to the governments that you think are good. You see that? Let Let me read it again. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, no authority, there is no authority except from God, and all the authorities have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Right. Well, Paul, you don't know the state of Stormont. You couldn't possibly have foreseen the mess that they would make of Northern Ireland, and therefore, that text does not apply to me. Wrong. Let me give you a bit of context of the situation that Paul was writing into at the time where he wrote Romans. Romans was, funny enough, writ to the church in Rome, who were under the Roman Empire, who make Sinn Fein look like a tea party. Just so we're clear. One of the worst governmental systems of all time. Not Kim Jong un ain't got nothing on the Romans. Yeah. Just so we're clear. Paul says, the Bible says. God through the Holy Spirit writing through Paul says be subject to the governing authorities because they are a common grace to you instituted by God don't resist them if you resist them what will happen you will incur judgment common grace a common grace that's one of them there are many others that we, that we don't see, that we don't think of. Like we've got, we've, we have a massive like thing here in Northern Ireland at the minute. Now the NHS is not like, listen, we all have our opinions. But if I break something, I go to the hospital and a doctor looks at it and we get an x-ray and we get a cast on it. Common grace from God. If I get cancer, I go down to the city. I get my chemo. Common grace from God. We need to be really careful, folks, that we're not slapping God in the face when we talk about his, these things in a negative way. They are a common grace given to us by God for our benefit. And not just for our benefit, folks, for everybody's benefit. God is good to all. All. Someone who hates God someone who is vehemently opposed to God, who slanders God, who blasphemes God, can walk into the city hospital today, get a diagnosis for cancer, and get treated. That's a common grace. It's a common grace. God is good to all. That's why we worship him. So, so far, we have, he sustains the church, God's people throughout all of time. He will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is abounding in love. He loves you as you are. He loves us as we are. He's good at all. Shows us common grace. And finally, He answers our prayers. He preserves the righteous and He destroys the wicked. He answers our prayers. He preserves the righteous and He destroys the wicked. Let me just read uh, these verses to you, and I genuinely think, and I say this often, but in reading this week, I think these are some of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. Let me just read to you Psalm 145, verse 14, and then verse, verse 18. 14. Listen to this. The Lord upholds all who are falling. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. And then verse eighteen. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. As I say, I think I just think those are some of the most beautiful verses that I've ever read. Some of you are in here this morning and you think you're falling. You're you think, in any, in any not numerous ways, you, you might think that. You might think you're falling in your faith. You might think you're falling in life. You might just think it's just overwhelming. Everything's just overwhelming. You might, just, you might consider yourself just falling. I want to point you to this. The Lord upholds you. The Lord upholds you not yourself, not what you can do, the Lord upholds you. And then to encourage you on and on. The Lord is near to all who call on him. And here's, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. The, the kicker of that verse is this, to all who call on him in truth. In truth. Stop playing games with God. You're not covering anything up. You're, you're, you're not hiding anything that he doesn't see. If you can't come to God and just lay it all out. And be completely honest. You haven't got the right picture of God. I've just told you, God is one who loves you no matter what. With all your mess, with all your mistakes, with every wrong decision you've ever made, He still loves you. And you can come to Him and you can spew it all out. No matter what it is. I I love this song that we sang at the beginning there, because it's, 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 like, it's like a lot of the Psalms. Remember, oh my soul, who you're singing to. Remember, the, the psalmist does that over and over again. The psalmist speaks to himself and says, come on, soul, come on, soul. Why, why, are you, why are you downcast, Oh, my soul? Look to God, look to God. Why are you like this? Why are you like this? He does that all the time. And so I love that song. It just replicates a lot of the Psalms. But are you coming to God in truth? Are you being honest with the only one who can actually help you? Are you, act, you know, are you coming and are you spewing it out? Because these verses tell us He is the one who upholds us. And He is near to you when you speak to Him in truth. Stop bluffing. Stop laughing. One of the one of the, I don't know how to put this, one of the goals of Cornerstone Church in the early days, before we even planted, was to be a place, to be a church that was authentic. What does that mean? That means Cornerstone Church is a place where you can be you, where you can be you, that you're not judged. You're loved for who you are. You're accepted for who you are because that's what God does. And all we're doing is replicating the gospel. So let me just say this. One, stop judging each other. And two, open up. One, stop judging each other. Two, open up. Life is too short. Life is too short to carry the stuff that you're carrying on your own. You're wasting time. You're wasting time. Why not be fully in? And the only way we can be fully in is that if we come to him, lay it all out there. And be fully authentic. And if you're not authentic in your relationship with God, heaven knows you're not going to be authentic in this church. And with this church. See what I mean? If you can't be authentic in a relationship with the Lord, you will not be authentic in here. The Lord upholds all who are falling. Flip, that's that's good news. Isn't it? That's good news. And what your soul needs today is good news. That's good news. And he did it in such a way that he sent his perfect, beautiful, completely righteous Son, to deliver us from our sins. We're going to come to communion. And so, as I said at the start, I hope you can only check yourself now. I hope you've been thinking about you. I hope you've been considering your life. I hope you've not been thinking about others. I I hope you've been just thinking about you and what you worship and how you worship and why you should worship King Jesus and him alone and let all other idols fall. He's beautiful. He has and will sustain the church throughout every generation. He's abounding in steadfast love. It's not going anywhere. He's good to all. And he holds those who are falling and is close to those who call to him in truth. Let me pray for us. Father, Thank you for the good news that is contained within the Scriptures. And that's what we need today. More than anything, we need the good news of the Gospel. That whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, I pray that through the person of the Spirit, you would move amongst us. Help us, we pray, to see where we are not being honest with you, never mind ourselves or with anyone else. Help us to see it. Help us to confess it and help us to come to you in just unfiltered honesty. Thank you that we have the scriptures that show us how to do that. Psalms especially show us. David was just able to come to you and spew everything out. Help us to do that, Lord. And we pray. We pray that individually and as Cornerstone, as a collective, we would be a people who worship the one true God. And Him alone. In
0: Jesus' name, amen.